Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 223 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode we talk about hiking in the cold. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Now, for me, this episode is a bit of a weird one. I've realised that I'd gone through and talked about hiking in the heat uh, a number of years ago, but hadn't really done the reverse of hiking in the cold. The last few episodes that I've gone through and done in this podcast have related to the East Gippsland Rail Trail, and in many respects, this podcast also relates to that trail as well, because it made me realise that had I not been prepared for this hike, Uh, I would have definitely been very cold and potentially even hypothermic. So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about hiking in the cold and considerations that we need to take into account. We hope you enjoy. Now, first up, what is cold? And this might seem obvious to a lot of people, but there's really no such thing as a standard variation or a standard measurement for cold. And I use as an example here, I live and work in Canberra. I'm used to having wintertime conditions, particularly in July when this podcast is being recorded, getting down to potentially minus 5, minus 7 degrees Celsius. I also work with a group of people that work in Central Australia, and I know from a, for a fact that when it gets down to 20 degrees, they've got their jumpers and their coats on, because for them, they're feeling the cold. Yes, and I live and work in Canberra and uh, I I also endure those cold temperatures and I get really, really, really cold. And so when I'm rugged up, Tim isn't rugged up. So it, it is one of those strange things. It, it, as Jill mentioned, it's not unusual for me to be going to work, uh, not so much in July, but certainly uh, uh, in April and even early May, uh, wearing just a short sleeve shirt and I'll wear a short sleeve shirt through much of the day and I'm sitting outside having a coffee and a short sleeve shirt and they've all got uh, their their fleece jackets and uh, uh, and down jackets on. And so, and I've got the heater under my desk <laughs> running full bore. <laughs> so the whole concept of cold really is a very unique one uh, and certainly as we go through and talk ab- about this, while the prevention and um, uh, considerations are pretty much the same for everybody, Uh, how we interpret those or how we enact those is going to be very unique. Things that will impact on cold uh, tend to be everyone's individual tolerances, uh, and that certainly is going to vary. And I'll make a comment here which is not intended to be a sexist comment, but women do feel the cold more so than men do. Um, It's just a physiological fact of life that in almost all cases women will feel colder than men do 
And you've only got to look at the sleeping bag ratings where they'll either have a men's or women's rating or the ratings will be aimed at men's, men and women based purely on uh, the, uh, the testing, the international testing, uh, with a realisation that women do feel the cold a bit more. Yeah, and I um, have felt the cold for most of my life really, really badly, probably less so at the moment, but um, that's probably got to something to do with something else. The next uh, impact on perception of cold is the actual temperature itself. So certainly for most people, if you say it's 25 degrees, uh, most people won't say they're cold. Uh, and certainly if you say it's minus 5 degrees, most people say it will. But somewhere in between there is a temperature that people individually determine whether they feel the cold or not. And that's going to be, as I said, something very, a very individual and very personal thing. From there, we go to apparent temperature. And we've talked about apparent temperature in the past in previous episodes and previous articles. And this is the temperature equivalent perceived by us as humans caused by the combined effects of air temperature, relative humidity, and wind speed. I am quite happy to be up in the snowfield. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I don't really mind the really cold conditions because typically, even though it might be snowing, uh, it just doesn't tend to feel as cold as it can do in other conditions. So when you're down in a uh, Sydney or Melbourne or Canberra and there's this strong wind blowing and it's bitterly cold and the air's really moist, uh, that's for me when I often tend to feel the cold a bit more and that's the apparent temperature. I did wonder how cold we were in the past before we knew about apparent temperature, but now everybody's got a a weather app on their phone and uh, the first thing that they look at is not necessarily the the actual temperature but the apparent temperature and and then they decide if they're cold or hot. On my recent trip on the East Gippsland Rail Trail, uh, the temperatures during the daytime were typically up to around about 12 degrees maximum but I was getting apparent temperatures down close to zero for a lot of the, the time that I was travelling. It was not unexpected, uh, but certainly um, it was something that I hadn't really thought about prior to coming into the trip. So apparent temperature can make a big difference to what you actually feel in relation to cold. And last but not least, your layering system. Uh, what you wear on a hike, uh, and again, having a decent layering system will have a huge impact, but what you're actually wearing will, will greatly factor in on how you feel the cold itself. Now, how do we prevent getting cold on a hike? Main thing to remember is maintaining a level of warmth on a hike is crucial to not just your comfort, but also your safety on the trail. And there are a number of things that you can do to make sure that you tick both those boxes. First and foremost is that of planning. And this is something that really has an impact on every hike you will do. So in this case here, when you are planning for a hike, if it is during cold weather, um, you need to work out what it is that is going to help you stay warm on a hike. Plan your hike for the current and the forecast weather conditions. So if we're talking about cold weather is what the actual temperature is on the day uh, and what the forecast weather is uh, at uh, in the coming days or even later in the day. And I'll use as an example here, Jill and I went up to Kosciuszko National Park a number of years ago and spent Christmas uh, up in that in that park. We were staying in a hotel, but doing day walks uh, 
uh, uh, rather than camping on site. Now, this was Christmas time. It was late December. Uh, it, the temperature when we left on Christmas Day to walk up Kosciuszko was 25 degrees Celsius. On the return trip, the temperature had dropped to six degrees Celsius. Yeah, it was pretty cold. Um, and, you know, you, you'd think that starting the walk at the start of the day, yeah, look, 25 degrees, we're not going to have to worry about taking any cold weather gear. But the Australian alpine regions do have a fairly wild and variable weather pattern. It's not unusual to have very high temperatures like 25 degrees and then have very cold temperatures later in the day, even during summertime. Yeah, and I think knowing the area is important too here because um, in some parts of Australia, the temperature is quite consistent. So whether it's consistently warm or consistently cold, that gives you a bit of a clue about uh, you know what you need to do and what you need to take with you. But in other parts, it's inconsistent. So um, as Tim said, you know, Kosciuszko is one of those inconsistent environments where it can be warm and then it can be quite cool. Um, and, you, you know, it's not necessarily the beginning and the end of the day where that can happen. Also, you need to go through and consider what you should do if the forecast is for a cold day. So if you know you're about to go out on a hike and the forecast is for five degrees Celsius and rain and cold winds, nothing wrong with that, nothing preventing you from going for a hike, providing you have the appropriate gear. But it may also be a matter of choosing a particular site. So again, I'll go back to the Australian Alps, particularly if you're hiking around the uh, Kosciuszko National Park and you're above the tree line uh, and you're open and exposed. Uh, that can be a big difference as opposed to going slightly lower down, hiking in the trees, uh, and that will actually reduce the impact of any wind that might be around. So choosing a particular site can be a way of minimising the impact of cold. Not always an option. Sometimes you're hiking in a particular location and you don't have a choice. But if you do have a choice, think about what is the best hike for the conditions you're in. Layering and having a layering system that suits your needs and takes into account the current and forecast conditions is critical. So you might be going out for a one-hour short day hike, uh, walking out half an hour and then turning around and coming back another half out of the car. And if you get a bit cold on that sort of hike, it's probably not going to be a major issue. If you're going out for an extended hike, uh, like we were with Kosciuszko, where we were out for a number of hours, or you're camping overnight or camping for multiple nights, having the appropriate gear for, for the, the extremes of the area you're going to be in. So again, even for me, it doesn't matter what time of the year. I don't tend to snow hike that often, uh, but I certainly don't tend to snow camp. Uh, but in that case through there, if I am going out, I've got what will keep me happy for the day. Um, and if I am going out and I'm camping overnight during the summertime, I've got enough to keep me warm, even in much colder conditions than I'm actually expecting. Yeah, and so um, if I'm doing a, a day, a full day hike, what's in my day pack uh, pretty much doesn't vary uh, during the time of the year um, that I'm out and about. So there'll be a rain jacket and there'll be a warm jacket and, um, you know, I might take the the gloves out, for example, during the summer, but pretty much everything else is going to be the same irrespective of the time of the year that I'm hiking on a day hike. 
The other thing with layering, and this is where it takes a bit of experience, is where you might have a good layering system, but wearing the right layers at the right time. Um, it's a bit of a, a – it's very much a learning curve, I'll be honest. Uh, it's I expect when I first start a walk with my pack, for the first 10, 15 minutes, I'll be a, a bit on the cool side. Uh, but I will expect if I'm wearing a warm jacket, just have to stop after about 10 to 15 minutes, take the jacket off uh, or vary my layering to suit because I've all of a sudden gotten warmer uh, and now I'm too hot. The other thing I might actually do, and again, this is more based on experience, is I'll put up with being cool or cold for the first 10 to 15 minutes, knowing that very shortly after I start my hike that I'm going to warm up, and I and it means I don't have to go through the process of stopping, putting a piece of clothing away and putting my pack back on again. And the other thing about a layering system is that there's a bit of a Goldilocks thing happening here too, that you need um, a sufficient layer of air uh, between your layers uh, that you can warm up and keep warm, um, too too little and you won't be warm, uh, and too much you'll spend a lot of energy heating heating up um, a bigger gap of air. So that layering system, as Tim said, is really something that uh, you know you need to test out and you need to really work on. Now the temptation may be there to think, oh look, I've only got another 15, 20 minutes to go before I get to camp or to lunch and I'll stop and take it off there. But the risk you run is that you'll start to sweat. Sweat will generate moisture, which which pulls heat away from the body. Uh, And again, you might find that you stop and all of a sudden you're starting to get cold. So don't be tempted to just ignore the fact you're getting hot. Take something off, change the layering as be as required. Yeah, and I think just on that... um making sure that when you do stop, you you do have something dry to put on uh, to keep you warm because you will start to cool down. So if you've been, you know, sweating in a jacket or sweating in a top and that's the main thing that you're going to use to keep you warm and it's damp, that's not going to work so well. Eat often. Uh, and certainly for me on longer distance hikes, I tend to eat every hour to hour and a half small quantities uh, and often rather than big quantities and infrequent. So uh, one of the ban- the advantages of, of hiking is you get to eat lots of really bad food like chocolate uh, <laughs> and, and, and fat and all sorts of other things. High calorie, too. High, high calorie high food. High calorie. Uh, that gives you the energy but also helps to keep you warm as well. So rather than having a big meal and one big meal and nothing else, have a number of smaller snacks that you can graze on through the daytime. Yeah, and I think if you are camping overnight and and it is in uh, cold or cooler weather, then you also need to be thinking about having something warm to to eat uh, that will keep um, keep your energy up during the night as well. And I think in the case case of food, one of the things that um, you look at when you're talking about ultralight hiking, which is hiking with as as small a weight as you can get away with, people will often skip carrying a stove and have cold cold soaked meals at the end of the day. Uh, But for me, this is a luxury uh, that I don't see as a luxury and something that I will always have. I love having a hot meal at the end of the day. It just tends to rewarm me and and get me going and, and helps me sleep for the night. Maintaining your fluids. Now, it may seem a bit counterintuitive here. Uh, uh, from my perspective, my recommendation, it tends to be uh, one litre of water for every 10 kilometres 
or if it's over about 25 degrees Celsius, so during the hotter months of the year, one litre of water for every hour of travelling. Uh, I certainly don't drink those sort of quantities when it's very cold or during wintertime, but the temptation during, when it is cold is to think you don't need to drink, uh, but you still need to drink water and or hot drinks at some point during the daytime. Um, and the temptation, as I said, is to not think about it, uh, but by not drinking, that can also have an impact on you feeling cold as well. As we've already discussed, checking the weather as part of the planning process, uh, and I'll use here as a an opposite example of what I've been talking about. So Larapinta Trail, which we walked in 2016, uh, the maximum temperature we had was around about 32 degrees Celsius. The minimum temperature we had was zero degrees Celsius. And two weeks prior to that, the minimum temperature was around about minus four. So it's not unusual in the desert environments to get the extremes on the space of one day. Uh, so again, check the weather conditions, check what the what what what's going on, and minimise what you're going to be going through and doing uh, to uh, keep yourself warm and make sure you have the appropriate equipment. Yeah, and uh, there were some really interesting photos from that trip. Um, where, you know, one moment we were rugged up and the next moment um, you could see I didn't get burnt, uh, but you could see uh, that I developed a really good tan. <laughs> I was very, very brown. <laughs> From there, keep moving. And now, you don't have to walk big distances or walk fast, but even by maintaining a steady pace will keep you warm. If you walk, then stop for long periods, walk, then stop for long periods, you're getting hot, then cold, hot, then cold, having to take your gear off. Maintaining a steady pace through the day makes things much easier and keeps you warmer. And last but not least, particularly on longer hikes or overnight hikes, keep your gear dry. If you've got to get into your tent at the end of the day, you want to make sure you've got a dry sleeping bag and something warm to sleep in. Um, so if you've ended up getting wet gear because your, your, your pack's saturated through. So look at things like pack covers and pack liners that are all going to help keep you warm and toasty, particularly in the colder months. Now, what do you do in case you do get cold? And this, in all honesty, this is something that's going to happen to all hikers at some stage. But it's a difference between the degree of cold that you end up getting. Getting cold in itself is not so much an issue. You're becoming hypothermic can become life-threatening, and there's a, as a, there's really what it comes down to is the degree of coldness. And this is where I come back to discussing the Gippsland Rail Trail, and this was the whole reason for me doing this podcast and article. Uh, I had four days of rain for, not every day, but I had good amounts of rain, and even when I didn't have rain on day two, where it was a really sunny day, uh, it wasn't particularly warm. I think it probably, if it was lucky, it got to around about 10 or 11 degrees. So I, it gave me consideration to think that had I have not come prepared for this, it would have been so easy to get not just cold, but become hypothermic on these sort of trips. Um, and I think the snow is what we often tend to worry about. Uh, when we go to the snow, we always think about rugging up. Uh, but when it's not snow conditions... Uh, it can become a real issue. And looking at hypothermia in preparation for this uh, this podcast and article, hypothermia is particularly common when you spend extended periods at 10 degrees Celsius or below. And that's pretty much describes my... my, my, my <laughs> the fun, hiking we do. <laughs> the hiking we do, or the trip that I did on the East Gippsland Rail Trail. 
Now, that was the time of the year that I chose to go. Uh, had I have gone at another time of the year, it would have been probably much – in fact, it would have been much warmer than that. Uh, but it's the sort of thing that if you don't think about that, you know, you think, okay, it's 10 degrees, 9 degrees, it's fine. Uh, if you're doing that for extended periods, it can become an issue and you can get cold. Signs and symptoms of getting cold certainly include feeling cold and, and, getting, and shivering. If this progresses into hypothermia, the shivering can become severe. And even if it becomes really severe, it can end up the shivering stopped because your body's basically given up on uh, trying to shivering as a mechanism to keep warm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a real risk because, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with hypothermia, you, you can convince yourself that there's not a problem anymore. Feeling cold in itself is not as big an issue. Where it starts becoming a problem is you may start um, losing feeling in your hands. Uh, you may start losing focus on what you're doing. And if you lose focus on a height, you can lose your way from a navigation perspective uh, or you can make unsafe choices. So the choice of should I stop hiking, should I call it quits, uh, if you're going into hypothermia, you may not be thinking as clearly as you should do. And even if you're very cold, your thought processes may not be as clear uh, and you may put yourself at risk. If you are planning on going into very cold conditions, apart from having a good layering system and managing in that respect, ultimately what it comes down to, the ability to make clear-headed decisions and to think straight becomes diminished as you get colder. Uh, and the colder you become, the more... Uh, these decision-making processes become impaired. So again, hiking with another person and hiking with good gear uh, and doing all the planning is critical in relation to managing this process. Now, if you do become cold on a hike, um, what you're going to do basically end up doing is going to depend on the degree to which you've gotten cold. And the most obvious one is to reduce any further heat loss uh, and that means removing yourself from the cause of cold. It might be that you haven't got enough layering on, so you might need to put a jacket or uh, change your layering. It may be removing any wet clothing you've got, so if it is wet as well as uh, cold, you, know, you might have been drenched, uh, so you might have to take some of that clothing off. If you're hiking over multiple days, it may be a matter of setting up your tent and getting into your sleeping bag is a good option, even if you hadn't planned on it. There's nothing wrong with saying, well, okay, I planned on walking until four o'clock. It's only two o'clock. I'm feeling extremely cold. I'm just not enjoying myself. I'll set up the tent. And it might be that you set up the tent for a couple of hours, get into your sleeping bag, pack everything back up again and continue for another couple of hours before you set up for the night. Uh, but certainly it's something to consider rather than just assuming that you'll keep on going because that's what you'd planned on doing. Snuggling up to a partner if you've got one. Uh, body heat is certainly a good way of warming back up again. Well, it depends on who you're hiking with. And if you're hiking with a buddy rather than a partner, you might have to ask them first. <laughs> or or your buddy might need to notice that it's time to have a hug. <laughs> yeah. Having something warm and sweet to eat or drink is going to in, uh, help improve your condition. You do want to, however, avoid alcohol because that's just going to make you feel colder. One thing I would advise here is, particularly if you're doing more remote hikes and more serious hikes over longer periods or more remote areas, make sure you've done some remote area first aid and you're able to recognize the signs of hypothermia and know what to do about them 
and if you're hiking with a buddy, that they also know that as well because potentially you might be the person impacted. Yeah, and I think just on that, I think um, given the the normal travel that people do, the fact that we have um, families and accidents happen and all of those sorts of things that are just part of life, first aid training is an essential for everybody, I think. Now, last but not least, um, I always look for reasons for going out on a hike. And it, it's, it's rare that uh, unless the conditions are really extreme that I won't go for a hike um, or I might delay the hike till later in the day depending on how bad it is. But this also includes cold weather. Uh, and regardless of where you are in Australia or overseas, there will always be a cold season. And ultimately what it comes down to is planning. Plan for the actual and expected conditions. Make sure you have the appropriate layering system. And as mentioned, if you're planning a multi-day or multi-week hike, make sure your gear remains dry and that you carry food that has plenty of energy and plenty of calories in it. As I said, though, sometimes it may be that the conditions that is too extreme, you know, you're getting torrential rain and there's freezing and you do decide, look, you're either not going to go on a hike at all or you're going to pull the pin on a hike. You can always come back and do the hike at a later time, um, even, you know, with the exception of you happen to be leaving the country. Uh, but it really doesn't matter because your health and safety are the number one consideration. Ultimately, hiking in the heat, hiking in the cold, these are the extremes and quite often we'll be sitting somewhere in between. But make sure you cater for those extremes, whether it be the cold or the heat. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. It's, um, I'm sitting in the shorts and I'm shitting. <laughs> shitting. <laughs> Don't shit. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the, uh, outs-